This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today we have Spencer Sheehan on the show. He is over risk and compliance engineering at Instacart. Prior to that, he was the manager of security GRC at Salesforce. And prior to that, he oversaw technology audit at Stitch Fix. So he clearly loves hanging out on the West Coast with the uh, the tech folks. Spencer is a huge fan of automation in security and compliance. So that's a lot of what we talk about on the show. Uh, he also shares his expertise in GRC and how data governance affects auditors and how it's going to really affect us uh, down the road for those that aren't heavily involved with the data governance. On the show, Spencer also shares his expertise in GRC as well as data governance and how it affects auditors. And there's going to be, I think that's going to be a topic that's going to continue to grow. So I think it was important to hit, to hit that. And he also talks about what data pipelines are relative to data engineering. Again, I think it's just another term that we're going to start to hear more and more as auditors, as we start to become even more focused on the IT environment within our organization. So I was excited that he uh, spoke about that. Uh, he's also a crazy bicyclist and is involved with the AIDS uh, life cycle race. And so we'll put a link to his uh, donation page in the show notes so you can check that out. And when I say crazy, I mean like 545 miles on a bicycle crazy that kind of crazy all right here we go my name is spencer sheehan um, i'm a senior risk and compliance uh, engineer at uh, instacart and uh, the views reflected here by me are my own and not of instacarts yeah my role is pretty cross-functional um, so it includes talking to you know external auditors internal auditors engineers, product people, financial systems folks, legal. Um, and so the other half of my job is really governance, specifically right now, it's a little bit like data governance and it's pretty, um, it's a little bit fuzzy, but getting clearer and clearer, I think every day and every week, um, because we didn't have government, we didn't have GRC at all. And so we really started as a risk and compliance team yeah. when we first started. But really, we were just a compliance team because people didn't really think about, yeah, people think about risk, but from like a auditor, you know, like this kind of profession perspective, people weren't really thinking about, let me document, let me like write down the risk. Like, yeah, everyone's thinking about risk to the company, right? But no one's like thinking like, oh, let me like write this down and actually think about what is the actual risk and how is this process addressing a very specific risk and quantify that. So that wasn't even a concept as much. Um, and now, you know, that we, we already had the compliance piece because people, you know, there were certain 
um, obligations that we had to comply with and we have to comply with as a company. Um, but then adding, so that was the compliance piece. Then we added the risk piece by adding some more team members on our team um, who are building out that function doing like risk assessments, stuff like that that you'd see at more mature companies. And then the G piece, which is the governance piece, the capital G. Um, and that's really, you know, how I would describe that is if you're on a ship, the compliance people are like patching up the holes. <laughs> it's not really the best. I mean, it's not really the most um, uh, glamorous job, but it has to be done. And nobody's going to necessarily thank you when the ship is floating, yeah. but they're all going to be looking at you when the ship is sinking. Right. Um, but then I would say like the governance people, you know, they would have the binoculars and they're looking like, okay, there's land over there. Like we should go that way. And so really it's talking to our data engineering leaders, our financial systems leaders, our legal leaders um, who care about like privacy as well, mm -hmm. uh, privacy laws, and asking, you know, what are some of the things that we need to prioritize as a company, just from like an initiative perspective and strategic perspective, to make sure that we're organized, to make sure that we're ready for this next level of growth, um, and that everyone's on the same page, and that there's not duplicative there's not duplicative, um, you know, uh, projects being happened. And that, and that when we are selecting a new piece of tooling or something like that, or automation or building something that's going to solve one of these problems, um, like for example, scanning all of our systems for PII and then taking action on it and based on CCPA requirements and GDPR requirements and whatever other alphabet soup requirements, you know, making sure that we're not just tackling my perspective from a GRC perspective, but that we're talking to the data engineering people, development, product, everyone. And so really, my boss will say this over and over, that GRC is the hub of the wheel. And so we're here right now to just connect people, make sure they're all talking. That's basically my job right now. <laughs> and then eventually it'll be building in the, you know, working with legal, working with other leaders, make sure that we build out, you know, really good policies, but then that those policies will get turned into standards. Mm -hmm. And ideally, the, my vision and Terry's vision is to make those standards machine readable so that we have, you know, governance and policies by, you know, by design and it's just, it's all automated. That's the ideal, you know. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, walk me through that, like your vision, what would it take to get there? Maybe go into a little bit more detail about um, what that vision is also. One of my primary drivers is making sure that our, so engineers, right? And any, any employee at Instacart, they're a, they have a specialized skill set and it's hard to find really, really talented people. And so we want to make sure that when we're, whenever we are adding additional steps or additional requirements, that we're not trying to make additional manual bureaucratic work. Yeah. And we're not trying to be the department of no. Yeah. Um, and so as much as I can automate my way through compliance and through governance um, and through risk 
I'm going to do it. Doesn't mean we can do that fully, but any solution where an engineer doesn't have to spend an extra hour every week doing something and we can uh, have a machine do it, I will totally take that route. Even if it costs more, I don't care because the dividends over time, way more. Because if you have a human doing something, what if they go on paternity leave? Yeah. What if they, what if they leave? What if they forget? What if they're having a bad day? So ideally, you know, I think it will be, I think what's going to happen is we are going to start selecting more and more third-party tools that will um, be layered on top of each other that will help drive, you know, our governance vision. Um, from a data governance perspective, that would start with like a really good data catalog, um, meaning here are all of these data, here are the, all these objects um, or even like groupings of objects. Um, and actually Intuit has a really interesting, um, uh, uh, I guess, I don't know what you would call it, like strategy on data, data governance. And basically each data product would be listed in this catalog. And basically it's just like an inventory. It's like an inventory that's in a system, right? And it would say, okay, who owns the banana, you know, uh, uh, data product? Okay, it is this person, it's Bob Smith. He owns the banana data product and he's responsible for the accuracy and completeness of that data product. And if it changes, he has to communicate that to um, these people, basically. And, and, and when you say, that, and you're uh, using banana as an example, is that like that's a legit data product? It's banana because you're at Instacart. Are you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I don't think it would be called a data product at yeah. a banana level. But yeah, like it would be part of our actual cat because because we do have today, you know, we do have. Um, inventories of products, right? As a, as a, as a you know, um, partner to all of our grocers. Um, but I, I don't think it would be considered, maybe, maybe the, I guess short answer, yes. Short answer, yes. It would be kind of part of a data sure. product. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but then the idea is you have this catalog, you have owners of each data product, and you have a way to trace through data lineage of where did this come from? Where did this data thing come from? And where does it go? What, how is it transformed along the journey? Because, you know, in a lot of organizations, especially software startups, it's kind of like spaghetti code. Yeah. And you can't really trace things super easily because it beats just becomes so intertwined and it becomes more and more and more and more complex. So the sooner that you can put in a data catalog, the better you can try to see what is the universe of my data and what, and, and then, and then you can kind of start, you know, off of that of what are your main priorities around this data? You know, are you, are you interested in GDPR compliance? Are you interested in, um, you know, CCPA, you know, California privacy laws, which is going to become CPRA soon, which is going to be like CCPA, I understand, on steroids. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> so, so I think it's the first, the first thing is really a data catalog, but also like just executive with anything, executive sign off and agreement to the 
strategy. And so that's kind of what I'm going through right now, you know, and making sure that our executives are aware and that they are, uh, they, they have fully bought in on this vision and that everyone's, I guess everyone's, uh, uh, everyone's thoughts and concerns and their perspectives have been addressed, right? Because I don't want to go this way for like a year and then suddenly realize that we completely forgot about, you know, s- some other product, right? in the mix. A LinkedIn post of yours from like a month ago and okay. it said, data governance has anyone in my network leveraged automated solutions they have seen work well in complex environments with constantly changing data pipelines. Thank you for any suggestions. So one, I think for the uh, sake of the audience, maybe could you explain what that question even means? Like, so there's some jargon in there, data pipelines. Uh, I guess maybe that's the, the really only <laughs> jargon in there, but kind of like I don't think there's enough audit folks that really understand what a data pipeline is, how data engineering uh, comes into play. So if you could just kind of ex- expand on really what that is. Um, yes. So I would think of a data pipeline as data going from at the simplest, simplest terms, which I think auditors could understand from like a flow chart, Visio, yep. Yep. Or loose chart. Yeah, I always go super but, simple. Yeah. A to B, how does the data get from point A to point B? Is it an API? Is it an ETL uh, job, you know, ETL happening? Is there a um, transformation happening? Um, is, the, the, is the data being massaged? Obviously, oftentimes what I've seen in the companies that I've worked at that, you know, have built really cool proprietary systems is that the data that is generated by the proprietary systems, you know, if you're using an app and you make an order or whatever, that data gets written to a database somewhere in the cloud. (laughs) And, you know, that data then in the cloud needs to be picked up by something else, which I've seen many different things used. I've seen things like, um, uh, I'm trying to, oh my gosh, Talent talent uh, used in the past. I've seen uh, Amazon Redshift as kind of like a, um, an area that sort of the data kind of sits there and it waits to be picked up by some process. I mean, you could be really old school and have a batch job. I've seen that at really old companies um, where they have like cron jobs. And yeah. oh my God, I remember there was this one company I, I, I worked with that they had these uh, visual basic um, like, like, uh, code that essentially transformed the data so that it could become, you know, uh, better, more easily readable finance people. Um, I, I learned visual basic, basic, uh, coding question. Oh, how does it get from A to B? And, you know, are there pipelines that are happening in, in conjunction, like, like at the same time, it can get really complicated. So you have to, where is the data going? And then you want to think about, you know, as an audit or GRC professional, take a risk-based perspective of what risk are you trying to address? Um, Oftentimes for me, what gives me heartburn is like data accuracy, completeness and accuracy of um, information or also um, PII um, information or PHI if you have it, right? Um, if you, you know, um, if you are subject to HIPAA. And 
just understanding who has access to that data every step of the way in the pipeline. Um, is the date is the logic through which the data is being transformed? Does it make sense? Are there controls over that? Does is there oversight? I mean, 99% of the time it's going to be yes, but have you documented it? And do you know what's actually happening? Um, and a lot of times what I've found at <laughs> a lot of companies is point A knows what they're doing. Like that team knows what they're doing. Point B team knows what they're doing. And point C teams know, knows what they're doing. But maybe those teams just work in silos. And so through, you know, uh, data governance program, you can try to start to connect those programs and start, you know, creating more communication um, than those teams previously had been had been operating under, so that so that we can make sure that the data is complete and accurate, and you know we're handling it in whatever way we are supposed to through our obligations. What um, relative to data governance? What's the role? I know you're not in audit anymore, but you've played both sides. And I guess you still are kind of in an audit role you were talking about earlier, um, aware of many hats. What's the, um, what's the role audit should play relative to data governance? Like, hey, I know we have this uh, data governance committee or something like that, or even if there's, if there's nothing, what, what do you think the role should be? Depends on the structure of your organization and how, how independent um, and like what, what role you want internal audit to play. Because what I've seen at what I have mainly seen at companies is that internal audit is sort of a separate function and they're, you know, they're mainly there to observe and report, observe and report, right? And that's what they do. Um, and they're as independent as you can make them. Um, and, but then they'll work closely with, you know, the other teams like governance risk compliance, but they're really the third line of defense. And then GRC is really the second line of defense. And then, you know, the person that's actually doing the controls, the first line, right? And then the further you go down, it gets more boring. External audit, PCAOB, oh God, PCAOB. Um, if you're listening, PCAOB, you're great. Um, so your question was, what role should internal audit play in, in governance or data, data governance? We'll stick with data governance specifically. Yeah. I think, right, my, my answer was observe and report, right? So I think once there's an actual system set up um, and once there's actual policies and, and procedures set up, I think they can really help, help out with the C part of GRC um, as an additional layer as a third line of defense. But until that structure has been set up, you know, I'm not sure what role precisely internal audit could play. I mean, they could always help advise and work together with the the GRC team, which I would see as separate yeah. um, because the GRC team may not be as quote unquote independent as internal audit because they're helping, you know, build out the controls and build out the risk register and build out the, you know, governance um, standards and policies and practices. Right. Um, but I would say once those are built out, once you do like, once you do a risk assessment, um, I'm going to oversimplify this. Once you do a risk assessment, you can decide, you know, these are our main risks, and then you can kind of connect that to your compliance piece, um, which would be like, you know, SOX or ISO or PCI or whatever alphabet soup you choose to torture yourself with, and then, you know, connect that to um, the, gov the, the governance. Wait, sorry, start, start with risk. Yes, compliance. 
And then governance might actually go between the risk and the, um, the compliance piece, because based on the risk, you want to create policies that are going to address those risks. And you need to, you, you want to make sure that the, um, the policies are being met, right? But you can't just create a bunch of boilerplate policies and copy and paste them. Like it has to be a really thoughtful process. And that's really difficult. Um, and I've seen organizations where people will yell and scream at the governance people for making policies and not looping in enough people, right? Um, so that's my, <laughs> that's something I'm thinking about as I'm sort of starting to create this, this function um, at my current company. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. Maybe a better question would be if, for, for pretty much anybody, like any organization, if there's no data governance initiative for, like regardless of the organization, do you think given what internal audit can do, mm, should they mm -hmm. push for that? Like, hey guys, we kind of need to uh, have some governance around our data. It's kind of a big deal these days. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if, if you don't have, like, let's say you don't have a GRC team, you just have an internal audit team, right? I've seen scenarios where the internal audit auditor, the head of the internal audit team, they decide, let's just, like, scope this down as small as we can to the, and, and kind of get as much double duty as we can out of a governance program. And so they would focus on financial governance because mm -hmm. that's kind of the easiest the easiest place for an internal auditor to go. Um, so then they would really care about the completeness and accuracy of the financial statements, which is really already what you're doing for SOX. Mm -hmm. But I think you're kind of taking a step, a step forward and going in a little bit deeper than SOX maybe. Um, and also, you know, looking into maybe there's management reporting that's not gap, you know, necessarily uh, uh, gap financial reporting or SOX financial reporting, but it's more management focused. You know, how, how do the executives, how does the CEO know that they're getting data that is the gold, you know, the gold standard that is the, the true source of of the data from like one place, right? Or if they ask marketing for, for the same report versus HR versus internal audit, if they're all different numbers, that's a data governance issue. Yeah. Because everyone's not on the same page. So it all comes back to everyone needs to talk to each other and make sure that they have, you know, the policies and procedures over you know these kinds of practices and then actually implementing them which is no small task so what i've been told over and over when i was trying as i'm trying to kind of start this program is to start small because you definitely can't do everything on your own um and it, it as you add more elements to this like the data catalog 
um, you know, finance, uh, data governance, if you're going to talk to IT, if you're going to talk to security, it just adds more and more and more complexity. So the smaller you start, the better. But if you want to just do it from like a whole enterprise level and just kind of, you know, go at it from that angle, you can, it just might be a lot slower. If you could grab every auditor, we'll say, by the shoulders and just shake them and be like, just do this. We ple like if everybody just did this, we'd be in such better shape. What do you think that would be? Learn more about the cloud like and cloud computing. Okay. Learn what Terraform is. Learn what Docker is. Because when you go into an audit, um, whether you're an internal, external auditor, and you don't know the basic fundamentals of how cloud computing works, and AWS, Google Cloud Platform, um, and just like other um, vendor provided things like, like for example, Workday, you know, or, or I, well, let's go with Oracle. Otters love, love that, right? Oracle. I used to have a client where they had Oracle on-prem and it was in a server that they owned and it was theirs and it was just very like, yep, we have Oracle and it's this version and then you know, in two years, we're going to upgrade and it's going to be this big, wonderful, you know, um, SDLC waterfall method thing with like a bunch of PowerPoints and just all the testing and documentation. And it's just going to be so beautiful to audit. That's not the case anymore. <laughs> and I think, I hope, and I, I just hope that most auditors, uh, especially in the Bay Area, um, but even just, just in general across the country, don't live in that world of that it, it, that's the case for every company because even at the more traditional companies it's becoming less and less common as we move to the cloud <laughs> and as we move to a more distributed um workplace um and so you have to really think about third-party providers and really 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 understand what is the difference between my company's obligations and Oracle's obligations mm -hmm. or Workday's obligations? Are they doing the backups? Okay, well, I need to really, before I go into the audit, like into the actual audit, maybe I should look at their stock report. Maybe I should, you know, Google, Google that, that, that provider and see what they actually do and use my common sense on, well, maybe, Maybe they, you know, Instacart or, or whatever company you're at doesn't have control over X. So that's really outsourced. And understanding that line of division of responsibilities is really critical. So, and then on top of that, yeah, if you can just get some sort of Udemy, um, you know, course done on the cloud and understanding like, uh, like concepts like Kafka, Docker, um, Kubernetes, like that's going to serve you really, really well in being able to just talk basics with engineers. Because if you're if you're sitting there asking an engineer, oh yeah, can I take a sample of your servers and like get a population of them? I've had engineers that will just laugh at the auditors, be like, no, we spin up like thousands and thousands of machines every day. And I had one, I had one guy that was like, he literally used the phrase like. We take them out in the back and shoot them in the head. <laughs> like, oh my god, that is that is um, really morbid. Um, I think that's not what actually happens, but yeah, I mean they 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 kill, they terminate the machines, and then they build new ones um, for whatever reason. That's how they did it there, and um, it's just such a dynamic situation, and it's not 
everything's changed and everything's changing. Once you learn the cloud, it's going to be something else. <laughs> right. What's, what's, is there, you mentioned Udemy, is there like a course that you've taken that you could recommend or are you saying, Hey, just go there, type in the cloud and, and take something? Yeah, I think honestly, even like, I think what I've actually done is YouTube. Yeah. I've YouTube yeah. like, like I would YouTube things like, um, Kafka, um, uh, Terraform, um, trying to Kubernetes, Docker, uh, Chef, you know, these are all, all things like, like Chef as, as an example, it's really critical to understand that when a company uses Chef, because if you were going to make sure that all the servers are configured in a certain way and they all have X um, security controls, you better understand how all of the Docker recipes are handled. Yeah, they're, they're called recipes and how they apply to all the different machines. Um, and then you can go do whatever audit procedures, you know, you want. But until you learn how to do that, you know, you might have a fleet of 20,000 machines and you don't know how to audit them because they're constantly changing and they're ethereal and ghost-like. Yeah. Um, you need to understand these critical, um, I would call them all like cloud orchestration tools. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I would say start and then just kind of go down the rabbit hole from there. And as long as you can kind of get a little bit dangerous with, with just talking about it high level, you can get more hands-on um, experience um, if you're auditing companies that leverage cloud technologies, which you probably do. <laughs> which you probably are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. And I like personally, I like Udemy because I like the, the structure sometimes. And, and for those that don't know, if you sign up, usually you get like your first, the first course you buy is like 90% off or something. Um, yeah. The more email addresses you have, the more, <laughs> the more you can keep signing up for stuff, but it's relatively cheap. And for me, I, like I said, I like the structure. So I like to use Udemy and then kind of, um, substitute almost with YouTube and other resources, but any Coursera, anything like that's where I like to generally start. Um, I would also recommend the cloud security Alliance. That's a good one. I had this control owner and he would always say, well, look at this. I'm a author for the cloud security Alliance. And whenever we would talk about, you know, these, these, these concepts with the auditors and the auditors would be like, you know, not knowing what's going on. He'd be like, just go read this. This is this is what I mean. Yeah. Um, so maybe go to the web, their website. I'm sure. I think they have certifications on that. Um, you know, I, it's unclear to me whether because I don't have a CISA or a CISSP. It's unclear whether to me how in depth or up to date some of these certifications are with regards to the cutting edge. To me, they're not cutting edge. To me, they're like just just like the base level yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. these days. I don't know how much they go into those specific technologies because they are newer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would just YouTube, Google them, look them up on Udemy. There's even a data governance Udemy that I think I looked at uh, and I probably paid like 15 bucks for. It was yeah. really helpful. I'm like, how to start your own data governance program. Yeah, so. yeah it, those are fantastic. And, and I've had we had somebody on before talking analytics and uh, machine learning and said, there's a, there's a course on Udemy. It's like 44 hours yeah. of just like the videos. And then if you actually do the work, it's, I don't know, probably another 60. 
Um, yeah. But it's the most comprehensive one. And uh, I get, so he told me about it. Somebody else said it was the best one. And, you know, so that was the first one I did. It was $12, like I said. And if not, and what's great is like, you can take notes in your Demi and go back and refer to them. So even if it's like, this thing's way too complicated right now, take a note to come back to it. Um, and so that this is really more just a, a plug for Udemy because it is, there's really good stuff out there. I don't know if enough people really know about it as a resource and it's not just tech. I mean, there's, there's project management, there's all kinds of stuff out there. Yeah. And if you don't, like, if you work at a, like a company that has over, you know, I mean, even if it's not a big company, a lot of companies have, yeah, like I can see, like we use Udemy for business. I'm pretty sure when I was at Salesforce, they had, they had another, another, another one that was similar. Um, there's another really good one called Cybrary. Uh, I think it's Cybrary.it. And they have a lot of like, you know, here's your CISSP, um, you know, training or whatever, if you want to do that and you want to torture yourself that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's so many opportunities and so many um so many resources that are really structured these days because it can be hard to like just do it off of YouTube because it's not in any way structured, but yeah. it's a great way to just understand the terms and generally what they mean. There's almost so. always somebody that can explain it better on YouTube than yeah. whatever else. Well, I mean, there because there's whatever the, the overly complicated concept is, there's 50 videos on it. And yeah, of course it takes time, but you find the one and you go, Okay, now I get it. You know, I did want to give you a chance, Spencer, to talk about um, the 125 miles that you've biked. Is it multiple times you've done that now? 545 miles. Yeah. Um, so that's over six days, I think it was six days. And I did that in, I was a volunteer in 2018 or 17. And that was like literally just helping people park their bikes. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, thousands of bikes yeah i think they have like two thousand participants every year about and that was actually in my opinion harder than actually doing the biking which i did the year <laughs> after uh because like you don't get all any of the fun things like you you really are like an angel you know um because it's a it's a very some of these people have really expensive bikes you know um your cannondale bikes and whatever other bikes you have um but uh, yeah, when I rode it, when I actually rode and I was a writer, you have to raise at least $3,000, um, which is really easy if you have any friends or work at a company that um, matches. Mm -hmm. um, so like when I was at Salesforce, they did matching. So it made it a lot faster to get to that $3,000. Um, I think Apple does like, they'll, they'll, they'll do three to one in mm -hmm. some senses. Um, and then, so yeah, they basically kick off in like around Daly city at Cal palace, um, basically just like a auditorium, like stadium area. And then you ride down to, I think we stopped the first night is in like Santa Cruz and they basically set up, it's a really well oiled, oiled operation. They set up like, um, a camp, um, every night. And so, you know, they have like catered food, basically any conference kind of food, could be there <laughs> that's the level of food which is like good enough you know yeah. pretty good um and then you get like mobile showers and stuff but you are biking the whole way um and sometimes it's even along the freeway um on the side but they'll kind of like hone it off and it's you know very safe and they they teach you all the safety protocols and you things you have to say like oh there's glass or you know whatever and like different motions and then every 15 miles or so 
you there's like a break area so you can like get a banana go to the bathroom whatever um and actually interesting random um olympian gus kenworthy i met him he's a american freestyle skier and then ariana grande's brother um Frankie grande <laughs> they both were kind of the main celebrities or whatever yeah uh, during the sadly the last alc that was in person because of covid i think that was 2019 and uh yeah so it was it was really really fun super duper rewarding and then by the time you finally get to la you are exhausted but you feel so good because you just have your brain is just overflowing with serotonin yeah and then it's la pride actually weekend every time you get there um so then i'll usually stay in like a nicer hotel in like west hollywood or something and just enjoy like you know comfy bed and showers so it's fun what what's the uh what's the cause what's the name of the race and if, oh if people, want to, if people want to support it how can they do that yeah um it's AIDS life cycle stands for, that's what ALC stands for. And it was created like around 20 years ago um, to help um, any, you know, life-saving services regarding HIV awareness. Um, I, I'm not misspeaking, but generally like, um, I'm not positive they do quite research. I know they do things like helping um, uh, queer you know, youth uh, or, you know, underrepresented um, people with housing, hmm. things like that, testing, um, yeah, policy development. I want to say maybe research, but I'm not positive on that, but generally just helping, helping humans, um, with that horrible disease in many, many different ways. Um, so it's a really great cause and, uh, yeah, I'm really passionate about it. And the best way you can donate is by going to, I would say donate to my page. Oh, I do have a page. Nice. Should I, should I? Yeah, shoot me the link I, to the page. Okay. Um, yeah, it's going to be like a specific page. So I'll give that to you. But yeah, um, yeah cause then I could selfishly get, you know, closer to my goal of $3,000. Cool. So yeah. Yeah, send that over. We'll add that to the show notes so people can uh, can check it out. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.